This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I am your host Ishmael Johnson here. Sunday recap edition. Uh, I have a goal of this one. Uh, there's not much to talk about with most of these games except for a couple. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping we can keep this episode under an hour, under 45 minutes maybe. We'll we can see. only hope. <laughs> we can only hope. We always talk whenever we get things going. Uh, that voice is, of course, producer Mal Pal. Mallory, how are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Glad to be here. Mike Craven, back from another journey across the state of Texas. Mike, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Adrenaline's still through the roof right now. <laughs> good, good, because we're going to need uh, whatever fumes you have left before uh, before the week's over. A uh, little, little thing going on before we get into the games, because we do have one game off the top, I think is obvious if you're anywhere in the state. But FCS playoffs came out. Uh, minutes just before we started recording of course incarnate ward clinched the southland title saturday and they draw sfa familiar foe first round uh same houston state gets the number one overall seed they will get the winner mike you have seen all three of these teams i believe in person am i really am i mistaken on that or that is true that is true yeah. so what are you what are your thoughts what you know quick recap of or quick preview of sfa versus incarnate word obviously eric morris has basically turned that program around uh in a very short amount of time instant success sustained success um going up against kind of the next the 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 up and coming sfa program under colby carthel yeah san antonio kind of quietly the home of college football in the state right now i mean trinity has had a really good season as well so um yeah, with Incarnate Word, I, I, you know, what they do really well is pass the ball, right? Cameron Ward, probably the best FCS player in the state. He's incredible. I wouldn't be surprised if he did kind of like a Bailey Zappi type situation where you saw like the whole Incarnate Word offense just like transition uh, to an FBS school next year. They're, they're high powered. They're explosive. I saw them beat Texas State in San Marcos. Um, the defense isn't outstanding, but they're opportunistic. You know, they create a turnover here. They create a turnover there. They find an extra stop, steal an extra extra possession, and when your offense can score 50 points regularly, sometimes that's all it takes. Uh, the thing I will say about SFA and Sam Houston, I saw that game without a healthy Eric Schmidt, right? Mm -hmm. Sam Houston uh, did not play him in that game, and they're a completely different football uh, game there. What I walked away thinking about SFA is that they're really good. Xavier Gibson is a great Great wide receiver. I think he went over 3,000 yards for his career this past week, receiving yards. So he's a, he's a really good weapon. It's going to be high scoring. I don't know what the over and under is, but I would lean towards the over. I'm just not sure SFA is there. They look like a team that panicked late against Sam mm. Houston, that they found themselves up and were like, oh, man, we may do this. We may win this. Incarnate Word doesn't have a whole lot of experience here either. So it's kind of two programs figuring it out. I'm really intrigued by that, that I'm glad that's kind of like an in-state first round matchup. I'd imagine Corey Hogue's there. Um, it's going to be going to be a good one. Yep. And of course, Sam Houston looks like they have a pretty easy road compared to if they, once they get past this game, uh, kind of their, their uh, second round game against whoever, because of course, James Madison and North Dakota state are on the other side of the bracket. So 
it could be another uh, trip to the championship if uh, SFA or excuse me, Sam Houston has their way. So uh, they seem yeah. to be playing their best football of the year right now, too. It looks like you know Eric's healthy and that offense is really starting to click. And you know, there when you have the experience of already winning, that helps you. You know, they know that they can do it. They know what they're up against, and so they got to be the favorite. Yep, and that'll be if they can pull it off. That'll be the rare two-time 2021 champions for <laughs> Sam Houston since uh, since the season was in the spring for 2020. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, but yeah, like I said, that black, that bracket came out just minutes before we started recording. Um, but let's get to our games this week. Mike Craven, I'm just gonna ISO right here. UTSA 31, UAB 24 the 10th biggest win in UTSA history this season. Go on. You were there. What was that like? It was a roller coaster, right? And, and not even uh, emotions in the stands, but on the field. You know, the first half, the UTSA offense, you know, keeps the roadrunners in it while the defense just can't get a stop. You know, UAB <laughs> scored on three of the four possessions they had in the first half, and they were pretty much doing whatever they wanted to specifically on first down. It felt like it was second and three, second and four pretty much every single time. UAB averaged 11.6 yards a play in the first half against UTSA's defense. So it looked like it was going to be, this is going to be like Western Kentucky, right? Like Frank Harris and that offense is going to have to score 50-something points for this to happen. Then the second half started, and Clarence Hicks and that UTSA defense took over. They were, they were great. And so I don't know exactly, I'm not smart enough to know the exact adjustments um, that were made, but they were uh, really getting after the quarterback and playing really good defense in the second half. And it looked like, okay, well, if the offense keeps scoring, UTSA is going to run away with this game. But then the UTSA offense stalled. They got, mm. the defense got three stops in the third quarter. UTSA's offense started two possessions in uh, UAB territory and only got three points out of those those drives and so it kept UAB in the game UAB takes that touchdown late they get on top and it just it felt like it was going to end right there for UTSA you could feel kind of the nervousness in the crowd when there was about two minutes left and UAB had the ball UTSA only had two timeouts to go 77 yards with a minute six no timeouts not necessarily known as a passing team is Zachary Franklin seriously not healthy, right? Like he was out there struggling for large portions of that football game. To me, it's just the, the belief, the grit, all the things that Jeff trailer talks about off the field. They're really good in close games and they have been for two years. Jeff trailer knows how to win. He knows how to, you could look down on the sideline and everybody else is freaking out. And Jeff trailer looks like Jeff trailer on Wednesday afternoon, right? Like he just always looks like a poised, poised guy. And his quarterback plays the exact same way. Frank Harrison, that offense was struggling in the second half. And all of a sudden it clicked. They made a few big plays. They found the touchdown at the end. And 35,000 people freaked out when that uh, touchdown was scored to win that game. There ended up being three seconds left on the clock. And so you know, they had to figure all that kind of stuff out, but it was an incredible atmosphere uh, at UTSA. And for somebody who's been around that program, uh, covering it in, in bits and pieces for the last 10 years, it was amazing to think like in the press box, I'm sitting around a few guys who have covered that team for 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Javi Cardenas, you know, JJ Perez, those kind of guys. And you're just like, man, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy to think that like there were games, you know, that just like had no, nobody cared. Nobody right. cared at all to a game where 
35,000 people are going crazy. Guys on ESPN are talking about it. Twitter's going nuts. It was just a surreal experience to kind of see it all unfold and it to be on the 10 year anniversary of the first year just kind of just kind of feels like something kind of meant to be it, it had like a weird kind of cinderella storybook ending feel to it there yeah yeah i think that uh i saw that larry coker was on here before the game i thought that was really cool from the the program to kind of recognize who you know who was br- responsible for ushering in utsa football and obviously didn't end in the best way but i mean when frank wilson took over it wasn't a bad program right it was a program that you were just waiting for that next step and it was kind of ready for that next step and now jeff trailer obviously has taken it to the next step um to kind of its pinnacle right now and it felt like a celebration of kind of the last 10 years in a way right where you have larry coker this established name coming in building it up to and establishing the platform to what jeff trailer has done with it and you know, you mentioned uh, 35,000 people in that stadium. Uh, there's, there's always been controversy about whether the Alamo Dome is suitable for it or not. I mean, that it, that's felt like a home field advantage this year, more than most on-campus stadiums, you can say, in this country, many on-campus stadiums in the country. Um, and yeah, l- looking back on the game a little bit, you're right. That first half, that should have, uh, that defense, the defensive adjustments for the second half, were incredible because you mentioned it. UAB only faced four third downs in the entire first half. I looked it up and um, Dwayne McBride had everything he wanted. I mean, they bit, what was it? They scored from the second play of scrimmage, I think, right? Yeah. 75 yeah. yard touchdown pass, second play of scrimmage. They gave him 200 yards in the first quarter. Yeah. For sure. Uh, from, uh, from Shropshire who got behind the defense, I think twice in like the first two drives. And you're just like, where, and it wasn't expected to be that kind of game. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't expected to be a, U, a Western Kentucky game, um, a style game initially, and then it just happens to be. And then, like you mentioned, second half it completely flips. Offense stalls out. Uh, they finally, of course, get the 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 drive they needed at the end after a crucial delay a game from UAB when they were about to go for it on fourth on fourth and one uh, to probably win the game there. Um, but the defense comes up with that big stop on third and four, uh, forces them to go for it on fourth down delay a game they end up playing frank harris drives down you know the uh that last touch that touchdown to oscar cardenas i believe it was right yeah um and now utsa has clinched a spot and they clinched the cusa west and clinched a spot in the conference championship probably awaiting uh western kentucky so man i mean i hope this doesn't have a finality feel to it because i hope there's more to come with the conference championship with a bowl game win as well um but this did feel like a a really cool moment that a lot of people should have taken in. And I hope that, you know, you mentioned a lot of the guys that were there from the beginning really soaked in. And it was cool because you could tell a lot of the people there were San Antonians, not Mm -hmm. UTSA fans. Right. And that's what is needed at UTSA. They, They need the city of San Antonio to get behind the team. And that takes winning and that, that takes success. And it takes games like that. Like I would imagine the 35,000 people that walked out of that stadium on Saturday felt like they got every single dime's worth of that ticket. That builds buzz for next year, and then that builds buzz for next year. And you, the Alamo Dome being right downtown in San Antonio and being inside and 72 degrees at all time and selling alcohol and all the advantages that it has, that can become a home field advantage that UTSA has never had. So it did feel like an important moment for the city. Like say they go and they lose that game by 25 points. I think a lot of outsiders inside the city are like, ah, well, it's a cute story, but you know, they're still, 
you know, aren't want to win conference championships and that kind of stuff. Well, this one, it's like, look, I mean, we need to, we may need to think about getting season tickets for next year. That was a whole lot of fun. And so that's big. That's going to help because uh, UTSA, you know, it started in 1969. It doesn't have this huge donor base and this huge alumni base and generations of fandom. I mean, I'm 36 years old and we didn't have football when I was there. Right. Yeah. So you got to be about 30 or younger to really have the full experience. And so uh, you need as much, you know, T-shirt fans, as, you, as they're called, as possible there. You saw a lot of those there on Saturday. And for the first time in a long time, you saw another team make a lot of mistakes because of that noise. They jumped off sides multiple times. They had a couple delay of p- game penalties. Two of UTSA's touchdown drives happened after pass interferences on third down against mm. UAB. So they caught a lot of breaks in that game to win that game. Um, and so, yeah, it just it was just one of those things where you kind of had to just sit there for a little bit after it ended and just kind of remember, you know, how how much has happened and all the things it took to get there. Right. It took women's mm-hmm. soccer. It, it, it took starting women's soccer to get the title nine numbers there. It took Katrina because when Katrina happened, the New Orleans Saints came to San Antonio and established that started, football. And that started this whole groundswell of we need football. Well, the Cowboys weren't going to let another NFL franchise into, into Texas, right? And so the next right. best thing was, well, let's use that support and start UTSA. And so, so much has happened over the last 12, 15 years, 10 on the field, uh, to watch that yesterday and to watch everybody kind of get on the field. And it was, uh, it was a pretty surreal moment. It was, uh, it was a pretty intense, cool thing to be a part of. I saw a tweet, too, that Jeff Trailer took a selfie with every fan that came up to him after the game, which I thought was pretty cool. He was taking selfies with fans before the game, right? Before the, and before that never the, happens. Coaches never do that. Before big. the game, while the team's warming up and stuff, Trailer's kind of in the student section, just kind of hanging out. And you can wow. see students hand him a cell phone. So he would hand the cell phone to the police officer that was kind of you know, monitoring everything that was going on. And the police yeah. officer would take a photo of him. Like he, he gets it. He gets where he's at, right? This isn't UT where 180,000 people are lined up outside mm-hmm. to come to games. And there's just like five generations, you know, your great grandfather watched UT. So you watch UT. Like none of that exists. You have to create that. And he has taken on that mantle. He's given out pie during the week on campus, right? He's taking selfies with guys. At UTSA, you don't have to rush the field because afterwards they let you on it. Right. Yeah. They set a five minute timer. And then when that timer's off and the student, when the kids can kind of get off the field and stuff, you're allowed to just walk down there and ask players for autographs and sign stuff or, you know, trailer can put it into that. He didn't have to deal with that if he didn't want to, that's all on the coach. That's all on the culture. And that's, a very puro San Antonio thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is very much a San Antonio, like, come all, come on, one type of deal. Yep. And uh, yeah, yesterday would have been pretty soul crushing, I think, for that team, right? You go 10-0, and 0, you lose one game, and it feels like your season would have been kind of a disappointment or, or a failure in some ways. And so um, that drive kind of separated this from being something that's talked about in 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe something that's kind of lost in the shuffle over the next couple of years. So it was a hugely important day for UTSA football, UTSA athletics and, and the school in general. Yep. And on a less fun note, let's get to the power pole. Uh, I did, actually didn't see the power pole until I was putting together the rundown for this episode. So I didn't see what Mike Craven put at the bottom. Uh, new rule. Any team that loses to Kansas immediately becomes last place in the power pole. <laughs> so we are starting with the Texas Longhorns. West Virginia 31, Texas 23. 
Um, look, I don't want to spend too much time on this game. It was literally rinse and repeat for what we've seen. The defense is atrocious. Quarterback play, eh. I mean, Hudson Card hit one big shot to Xavier Worthy. That was kind of it. Um, and yeah, Texas is not going to go to a bowl. And that's weird. That's, I don't know. It's just very weird. We've kind of gotten used to mediocrity in terms of like, oh, they're going to the Alamo Bowl again. And now it's like, oh, they're not, there's no postseason. So, you know, we'll be talking about this team well into the offseason with transfers, with any staff changes, anything Sark chooses to do there. Recruiting obviously is going to be very huge. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was the same story for this one for me. Yeah, I mean they gotta they gotta clean house, right? I mean they need as as many transfers and a, as much attrition as they can get. Um, you know, yesterday, kind of while watching the game, I I put on Twitter I counted thirteen kind of transfers that they need, right? Mm-hmm. If you, look, you know, they need a quarterback, they need two wide receivers, three offensive linemen, three defensive linemen, two linebackers, a couple safeties, and a corner. Yeah, and that's that's maybe being conservative, and that. Mm-hmm. Because if you just do it from recruiting, that's going to take a couple of years. I don't know if Sark has a couple of years with this fan base, right? Like people are going to demand heads roll after this year. He's probably going to have to fire, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski or at least some people on that defensive staff just to kind of like keep people at bay. Right. And so it's kind of the environment. Right. It's kind of the environment. It's it's, it's not like, again, It's weird for me to say, but like, you know, of course, coaching has been an issue, right? You're not supposed to lose six games or, you know, in a row, whatever. But as much as people can say that it's not his fault, it's not his fault. Well, it's going to people are going to treat it like it's his fault, right? They're going to have to make some moves. So, yeah, uh, as much as behind the scenes, they might be saying, oh, you know, he has four years, whatever, five, whatever to turn it around. Like, they fired Tom Herman after, you know, like uh, for last year and like compared to this year, like they would absolutely have killed for la- last year's production. Like, yeah. you know, they never I missed know. a bowl. They never missed a bowl under Herman. Yeah. And it was like last year, basically they said what seven and three, which is roughly if in a normal year, probably what eight win, nine win season. Like they were said, that's not good enough. So like they could say whatever they want, four years, five years, but if he's, if it's something similar next year, like he could be gone next year. I don't know. Like, especially if all the off the field stuff keeps happening. Yes. Yep. 100%. You, know, you add a, a six game losing streak along with like, you know, monkeys bitings and coaches cussing and, right. you know, you know, now you got old players, players leaving, you know, right. It's just, you just can't have that. You just yeah. it shouldn't be this bad at Texas with all the resources, the money, and then there's the talent on the roster. There, there's no reason for it to be this bad. It's it's under the hood. You know, there, there's stuff going on under the hood that they're not going to change. The people making the decisions are the problem and yeah. they're not going to change themselves. And so the problem continues to exist. It's not a coincidence that this all fell apart when DeLos Dodds is gone. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Not, that's not a coincidence. And so. Mm-hmm um yeah until the people making the decisions look themselves in the mirror honestly which they don't have to because they're powerful enough to just have people around them that say yes to everything mm-hmm. nothing's nothing's going to change in texas no matter who you bring in here yep so the story will continue well into the offseason into next fall uh moving on to rice let's stick with rice on this one they played they lost to utep 38 28 um unfortunately you know we mentioned rice's offense continued to look pretty good and they ran the ball. De- they almost averaged five yards a carry. They ran the ball decently. They even threw out uh, Luke McCaffrey had a, a long, a 21 yard run. He finished with four carries for 40 yards, 43 yards, excuse me. Um, unfortunately, defense has fallen off a cliff and they could not stop 
any of the explosive plays that uh, UTEP uh, generated. Jacob Cowing, we'll talk about him in a bit. But yeah, unfortunately for Rice now, you know, three and eight, um, not this, not the year that you hope from Mike Bloomgren. And now you play a La Tech team that's vulnerable. But you know, again, you're still trying to figure out how to stop teams, and that's kind of a game you'd want to figure out uh, your defense in time for. Yeah, we're just talking about Rice. I was really impressed with the offense again. I, I think Jake Constantine has looked really good offensively. They found, you know, Jake Parker at wide receiver. He's just a sophomore. He's been playing really well. Like you said, the running game uh, was good. You know, Rice, for the most part, tends to be better defensively, and then they lack the ability to go score points. That's what's made this year so frustrating and weird is – it does seem like they've figured out a way to go score some points. They found a running back. They found a couple of wide receivers, quarterback play, even though it's been inconsistent because of injuries and the amount of people they've had to shuffle through there. They've gotten deep. Even when Riley green was in there, they've gotten decent quarterback play. They just can't stop anybody. They can't get off the field and uh, they create too many turnovers. And so when you have a bad defense and you're a little bit mistake prone, it's a bad combination, especially on the road and, I think they were just in so many close games that you just you get you just kind of get shell shocked right shell shocked right and they were up going into halftime and then UTEP kind of makes the third quarter kind of storms back and you could see Rice players just kind of oh not again and uh, you know just kind of lost it there at the end. Yep. Um, moving on, well, like I said, we'll mention we'll talk about UTEP here in a bit later. Uh, moving on to Texas State, Coastal Carolina thirty-five, Texas State twenty-one. To me, this summarized kind of the frustration and the befuddlement with this team because um, they were game for this, right? They were, This game tied was tied. Half, right? Yeah, they were yeah. tied at half. Uh, it was really interesting. The off, I, I mentioned the offense finding its groove under Tyler Vitt, mm-hmm. uh, running the ball. They ran the ball pretty decently. And, you know, they played up to it. But this is also still the team that lost 45 nothing to Louisiana, that lost to Incarnate Words. So you're like, what is this team? And that's still like kind of my – um my my opinion and now they go into their last week against an arkansas state team they probably should be favored to beat arkansas state's not very good this year um but even then i'm like i don't know will they i i don't know right we thought that i thought they'd get blown out in this game and they kept it really they were really game for this one i agree with you i think that is the frustrating part about texas state is sometimes they even in losses sometimes they play to a level where you're like oh okay well if that was what we were getting week in and week out from Texas State, you know, they'd be hovering around bowl eligibility and you'd be like, mm-hmm. hey, something's kind of getting built there. We can kind of see, you can see the vision, right? You mm-hmm. know, um, but then they just have those duds and and they sometimes they even do it within games, yeah. right? Well, well, they'll have a great half or even a great three quarters. And then all of a sudden it just seems like it's like, where did the team go that I was just watching? Um, and so I don't know how you build that consistency, right? I don't know if there's like this secret sauce to be like, okay, we just need to start doing this and then that problem will go away. Um, but that's that's job number one in the off season of Spavadol gets another one, right? Is figuring out how to play the same every single week, how to build some consistency week in and week out. Right now, you really turn on the TV and have no idea what Texas State team is going to show up. And once you build that secret sauce for Texas State, go ahead and give it to Rice, too. <laughs> yeah, seriously, figure out what's going on there. Just well, a reminder. Rice, Rice has all the brainiacs. They're the ones that should be coming out. I know. There's the one that need to fix it up and give it to Texas State. <laughs> uh, just a reminder, this is a team that lost to Baylor 29-20. Like, they were one of, the, like, 
baffling to me that they played Baylor as one of the, you know, as, as good as anyone has that uh, didn't end up just overall beating them. They played Baylor closer than most anybody in the year, in this season. And so I don't know, again, just wild. It'll be very fascinating to kind of dissect this year in the off season. Well, even uh, same going back to Rice too. I was looking at their record, and they be, I, I totally forgot that they beat UAB way back a couple of weeks yeah. ago. And I'm like, how did this team right now beat UAB, who was extremely competitive against UTSA this week? It just doesn't yep. make sense to me. The inconsistency. Yep. <laughs> yeah, couple of, couple of overtime losses, right? You know, say they win those over, say they win those two overtime games, and they go into yesterday's game at like five and five. Well, that's a different rice team right maybe they hold on to that second half lead you know maybe they are playing with a little bit more confidence and belief none of this stuff happens in a vacuum in my opinion right like this is all a series of mistakes it's all one big sheet and everything's connected you move one part of it another part has to be moved and stuff and so i think with texas state and rice you're seeing and texas frankly right most yeah. of the teams on the bottom of most teams that struggle it's not because they're like just superior, less talented than everyone else, right? That there's just this huge talent gap. It usually comes down to just consistency. And that can be one drive. That can be two or three plays. That can be one or two mistakes, like the UAB offside, a delay a game penalty or a pass interference here and there. The margins are so thin uh, that confidence plays a huge role in this. And the teams we're talking about lower on the on the power pole don't have it. And then the teams on top of the power pole, like UTSA, play with so much confidence, even when down five with a minute left to go and no timeout. So th that is, a lot of times that is the difference more so than just straight down. Yep. Uh, moving on. Oh, my goodness. TCU. TCU 31. Kansas 28. Jesus Christ. It almost happened again. Um Kansas is on a kick. I'm telling I was you. about. I was. I'll say. I will say this. Next year, it might not be a joke if you lose to Kansas. I was going to say it's not. Well, we're making it as a joke now, but next sure, year it could it's, be just a regular thing. Like, oh, Kansas ain't bad this year. Because it still is Kansas, right? You still got to make that joke right. while you can. But Lance <laughs> Leipold has something clicking here, and the reason why I'm not criticizing TCU that much for this is like, what are you going to do? They they already Gary Patterson's already gone. Somebody new is going to come in there, like. You know, there's only so much you can criticize this team for. It was senior night. They got the win. Uh, they ran the ball almost 50 times, which I thought was awesome because this is what I've been kind of almost kind of wanting from this team. Um, Kendra Miller had 12 carries for 112 yards. Uh, DiMarcato had 18 carries for 89. Max Duggan had 14 for 74, had a 42-yard run. Uh, yeah, I, I like I said, uh, this is – it's hard to criticize TCU because, again, these are a bunch of guys who – know that this staff's going to change. Like I mentioned, Kansas isn't a joke right now. They're playing actually pretty well. Lance Leipold seems to be turning that knob at the right time to get this team interesting going into the offseason. We'll see what happens with them. They might be, be a transfer player as well. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, you know, they won. I, I don't know what else, you know, I can't criticize them for it. I will say it is hilarious that Jared Casey again caught the uh, tying touchdown for Kansas, uh, the the tight end that caught the two-point conversion last year, last week against Texas. Um, and his parents were in the stands again for that one. So that was actually really cool to see. Uh, I saw that they dialed up. It was like a five-wide play and he was uh, kind of an in-lineman, but he was eligible. And so like they ran, like it was like from like the five or something, they ran the play and like he just shoots out, looks like he's going to block, but he ends up just shooting straight out to the to the wide open, wide open in the back of the end zone. So um, they almost, Jared Casey almost got another Texas team. <laughs> 
I still feel like that play should be illegal. We can talk about that another time. I just I, like <laughs> the uh, inlineman eligible. Lane, eligible Lane, Kiffin, Lane Kiffin's run that play a few times, and it's like, yeah. it's like I feel like it's just like against the spirit of what the rule. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no reason to kick TCU while they're down, right? The coach already got fired, basically, right. right? Like, I mean, we we know what this team is now. This win did give them, you know, next week they go and they win and they're bowl eligible, and that can really be kind of a big spark for a new coaching staff that comes in. Um, they, they, you know, they're playing hard. They're playing They're You know, I, I also like the game plan. I thought that was, that was the way to go about it. I mean, Max Duggan doesn't look all that healthy, right? That, that explosive passing game just wasn't going to be there uh, behind that offensive line. He does. I think the thing with Max Duggan that we need, like, I feel like Sam Ellinger and like Charlie Brewer were kind of like elevated on this toughness scale. Mm-hmm. Right of like just these like just tough kind of Texas dudes that like play. I think Max Duggan deserves a spot up there. Right? Oh, absolutely, he is a tough, tough just kid, and he he yeah he plays really hard. And yeah, it was you know Kansas is a better football team, and TCU is is a team in change. So it was probably coming that this was going to be a little bit closer than maybe the gambling experts thought it would be. Yep, I think it was always funny to me that Max Duggan and Charlie Brewer are both like. Not this year, Max, Max Duggan's bulked up quite a bit, but like we're like 190 pounds soaking wet at one point, and like their offenses basically ran them like they were Cam Newton so many times. So, <laughs> so uh, anyway, good win for them. Senior night, like I mentioned, let them why kick them when they're down. They got the win. Who cares? And Iowa uh, State, Iowa State next week is beatable. You know, yeah, lost, very they've true. Lost, they've lost two in a row. There's nothing else to play for there. They have six wins, so they're already bowl eligible. You know, TCU could, you know, go ahead and shock Iowa State and get to a bowl game, and then whoever does end up being the head coach there, that's that's huge. So yep. still something to play for in Fort Worth. Yep. Moving on in the power poll, speaking of one of the hottest teams in the state all of a sudden, North Texas 49-7 to over FIU. I mentioned FIU is not very good. I expected them to win this game. This was a very comfortable win. North Texas, are they saving Seth Luttrell's job now? I think they have, right? I mean, I – to me, it's about how you're playing and how hard you're playing. And the team, and we've talked about this multiple times on this show, right? Like it halfway through the season, not only did it look like a bad team, it looked like a team who had kind of folded up shop and was ready for something new. Uh, this really last month, thing. month and a half, they've been playing really hard, like as hard as well as anybody else in this state, right? I mean, they lost to Liberty, but it wasn't, it wasn't a lay down loss effort like it was to Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're on this winning streak. Now next week they can play a UTSA team without much to play for other than an undefeated season, right? Conference USA West is already locked up. So uh, I think he, I think with a good performance, even in a loss next week, because South Luttrell still has a year left on his deal and how hard they've been playing for him, I think, uh, I think he absolutely has earned the right to kind of figure out if he can get something going next year. I feel like, too, if this game were to be – I know FIU is bad. We've already discussed that. But I feel like if this game were to have been played maybe even right after that Marshall game or before, we North Texas probably still would have come out with the win, but I don't think it would have nearly been as big of a deficit as it was sure. just because of the whole different dynamic of this team. And they're running the ball a lot more, too. Yeah. Very promising. I think three different backs scored a touchdown. And Austin Ani had one, a rushing touchdown as well, too. So it's promising to see that they're running the ball a lot more because that's definitely one of their strengths. 
Yep. They have, they put up a uh, 378 on the ground on almost 60 carries, but still over six yards a carry. You mentioned it. Uh, two touchdowns for Tory Ragsdale and Adey had each had one. Um, Ani had one as well. And yeah, like now you know you ha- you play. We've talked about like kind of emotional letdowns, and now you have a UTSA team that just had its biggest win, just clinched Conference USA uh, a spot in the Conference USA championship. You're playing for everything that you have, UTSA. If they lose this game, nobody's really going to care if they still win Conference USA. They're playing for an undefeated record, yeah. They're playing for an undefeated record, but like, you know, if they win, if they win Conference USA, I don't think people are going to be that upset. So, you know, who could, who knows? I mean, the team's rolling um, as we've, we've just seen UTSA be very vulnerable against the run. What, who knows what could happen, right? This is a, there's kind of, it's kind of one of those intangible games where you're like, all right, let's see. There are some things we can't measure on the field that could play into how this, how that game turns out. So I'm all of a sudden very fascinated to see how this game goes. All right, let's move on to UTEP. The other side of the game we mentioned earlier, 38-28 over Rice. UTEP found its explosiveness again, uh, passing. Gavin Hardison threw for 366. Jacob Cowing, who will be playing on Sundays eventually, uh, he finishes with, I thought I had it right here, 170 on 11 receptions. That dude's a baller, Justin, uh, Justin Garrett as well, with 82 yards on five receptions. Uh, Ronald A. Watt had uh, 119 on the ground, but a lot of that was buoyed by a 74-yard run. They still really can't run the ball because they basically averaged around three yards of carry outside of that. But I'm glad they let it air out. Gavin Hardison had 35 attempts because they know that's kind of their strength. And I'm glad we're not ending this on a rice on this season on a on a, a, UNT, a UTEP uh, a cascade down the mountain as they uh, waddle to six and six. Now they have seven wins. Yeah, it feels like they're truly bowl eligible now, right? Yes. Like at at six wins, and had they just stayed at six wins and ended on a five game losing streak, it was like, man, they may get left out of this thing. Like you know, maybe the New Mexico New Mexico Bowl gives them a call because they're right there or something. But like they may get left out of this thing. Uh, with that win over Rice, now they're securely in a bowl game. That's huge for this program for a lot of reasons, right? It's exciting for the kids who have stuck through some really bad times, right? I mean, even last year when they were starting to turn it around, you know, they had to play pretty much every game on the road because nobody wanted to go to El Paso in the middle of a pandemic. And so it's been a rough ride for those kids on the team. So it's nice to see them like really be able to breathe and, and have like a sigh of relief and know that they're going to get a, a bowl game going. I love Dimmel's like determination to be balanced, even if it isn't in yeah. yardage, yeah. like that offensive line's not good enough just to do like what Western Kentucky does, for example, sure. and sure. just let people know, Hey, we're going to pass the ball and we're going to, we're going to be so efficient with it. It doesn't matter. You're not going to get to us in time for it. He needs to be a Hardison has to hold the ball for a little bit longer than the UTEP offensive line can block. And that running game, even if it isn't great, it offers a defense something to where they can't just like at the snap, get after the quarterback. They got to play their reads and responsibilities. And that allows that extra split second for Justin Garrett and Jacob Cowing to do what they do. And those guys are special, man. Jacob Cowing is a legit, legit dude who would start for any team in this state. Like he is that good. Um, And so uh, to watch that offense get going yesterday was fun to see. And like I said, is that they needed the seventh win. And so for that program to really feel like it had taken a step in a positive direction, they needed that Rice win. And they were wearing those Texas Western jerseys again. I think they may, you know, I think they should like maybe just like 
go back to that, you know, like, I guess you can't rename a school or whatever, but those jerseys are nice. They pop on TV a little bit better than the other ones do. So oh, excited yeah. for UTEP. Glad they got their seventh win. Yep. Moving on in the power pole, Texas Tech, Oof. Oklahoma State 23, Texas Tech zero. Uh, Texas Tech did not have over 100 yards of offense till the fourth quarter. I think they finished with 101, I believe, with like barely, literally barely over. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what you want me to say. Oklahoma State probably has the best defense in the Big 12. Um, Donovan Smith, welcome to F, you know, D1, high D1 college football, man. <laughs> like, you're going to run up against some monsters. He finished 9 of 29, 83 yards. Ugh, I mean, they could not literally do anything. It was them, hard to watch. To throw them a bone, I don't think the Tech's defense was horrific. I mean, no, they, they weren't in the bad. first half. They held right. them to 13 points in the first half, but the <laughs> offense just couldn't stay on the field long enough for them to give them a break. So, of course, yeah. they get gassed the second half, and yeah, look what happened. Yeah, it, it was uh, – let me see. I'm trying to think. One, two – three four five three and outs in the first half for texas tech uh yeah man that was it was rough it was rough and i I don't want to say that they take anything from this game in terms of like who you know oh this means cumby's not going to be the oc now or whatever but like this is pretty humbling to come after last week I, i expected them to lose this game this exact domination was that's rough that's rough yeah, I mean, it, they were going to come back down to earth, right? Like West, yeah. like Oklahoma State did this exact same thing to Chad Morris, where it was like, oh, man, look at this quarterback. He's just Houdini, like, you know. And then you get tape on him, and, and the next week Oklahoma State's like, no, no. Oh, Chandler Morris, you mean? Yeah, sorry. What, I don't know what I said. Did Chad I Morris. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to do that for the rest of that kid's life. That's just like a thing that's going to happen. Um, but Don, Donovan Smith, the same thing, right? His first start against Iowa State, he lights it up. You know, then you have 60 minutes of game tape on him, and, and you can take away those things that he was doing really well and, and see if he can do the other stuff and see if he can make adjustments. And it's just too hard for a redshirt freshman to do that on the fly. Um, it was funny, a funny thing that happened during the game that I don't know if many people picked up on. He overthrew, I think, Azukama at mm-hmm. one point and he's coming off the field and you can tell Cumbie's about to just scream at Donovan Smith. Right. Mm-hmm. But before he can, Donovan Smith's dad is the running backs coach. And so Donovan Smith's dad jumped him. I mean, like got in front of Cumbie and like, was just like screaming in his face. And you could see Cumbie kind of smirk a little bit, you know, like, like, Oh, dad's got it. You know, like, I don't have to say anything. Dad's yeah. like right there. Cause he had overthrown the pass. So yeah, it's just tough, right? That's the worst <laughs> defense to play. If you're going into your second college start of all time like that's a really tough defense to play against Oklahoma State's really good and they needed to have a good performance because style points still matter for them so that was going to be a a tough a tough thing for Texas Tech Tech they uh, reached six wins last week so I think they're playing with house money right now and now you kind of get back up for one more game right you and inside that locker room you can go play spoiler to your rival down the road you know, in Waco and, and kind of ruin their season, right? I think they're, I think you see a better effort from Texas Tech in this upcoming week. Yep. Uh, moving on in the power poll, Texas A&M 52, Prairie View 3. I don't know what they want me to say. Um, <laughs> senior day, congratulations, got the good win, dominated. Uh, go check out Prairie View's band on AM's Twitter. Uh, they put out the full video of the performance. It was great. Uh, so shout out to the Prairie View Storm. Uh, yeah, they got out of there with uh, 
Nobody got hurt. So that's all that really matters in that one. Their defense held uh, Prairie View A&M to seven passing yards. That's <sighs> one fact of the day. Well, they, yeah. got a, they got a SWAC championship to go play. They were saying yeah, that they didn't want to go. put that on film. You know? There you go. Put that on film. <laughs> yeah. There you go. They don't want to show out too much. They're looking ahead. They don't want to show out too much in Caulfield. Not a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, moving on. Oh, boy. Cincinnati 48, SMU 14. Uh, speaking of a humbling experience, oh, my goodness. Uh, Cincinnati looked like a team that knew that they needed some style points to get in that playoff. Um, yeah, this one wasn't close anyway. Like this one, I don't know. I expected a competitive game. I expected a fun game. This one wasn't fun. It wasn't competitive. SMU was two for 11 on third downs. Cincinnati just ate their lunch on defense, just absolutely nuked that entire side of the ball and saying, we're not letting y'all do anything. They held so them to was... 66 passing yards all game. That's absurd. For a Tanner Mordecai offense, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, all week I was like, man, I think SMU can win this football game. Not only can they cover, I think SMU can win this football game. And yeah. then I started looking around at national writers and stuff, and, like, everybody was picking SMU in the points. Like, everybody was on that whole, like, if Cincinnati's going to lose one, it's going to be this one. And you can tell that Bearcat locker room heard all of that stuff and used that in, in a really positive way because from the opening drive, you could tell, like, Oh, this is over. Like I, I like, you know, that first drive happened and I had, you know, SMU plus 11 and like, that was lost money. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like I didn't need to watch the rest of it. Like it was like, okay, you know, this, this one, this one's good. Since the Texas tech firing happened, SMU's one and three. Right. So since, since the, the coaching rumors have started started going around, is he going to go to Lubbock? Um, And then the next week, TCU, you know, job opened up. Is he going to go to Fort Worth? Since all that happened, SMU's one and three. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, causality, right? But it doesn't look good, especially with reports that there's a contract extension on his desk that he hasn't signed. And he's kind of talked about and alluded to at a press conference to where it seems like it's confirmed that he has a contract extension that he still wants some verbiage changed on. And he, you know, and that leaks inside of a locker room. Those things like make a difference. And you can see an SMU team that hasn't been good at closing out years regardless Mm -hmm. uh, in the Sunny Dykes era, really looking out of sorts um, this last couple of weeks. And it's hard uh, not to wonder if if some of that outside noise is is some of the cause for it, because that wasn't just a loss. That was a beatdown. like that. They didn't deserve to be on the same field as Cincinnati. And that's gotta be alarming. Yeah, I said 48-14. That was 41 nothing for for the, before SMU got on the board. So uh, six out of their seven first drives in the first half were three and outs. It was an absolute butt whooping. So, yeah, um, Cincinnati, we'll see where they're going to be headed uh, probably on Tuesday. They're probably playing for their own fate. If, if, you know, things go as the way we expect them to go, they played like a team that deserves to be in that playoff. So, just watching watching this game real fast Mm -hmm. watching Cincinnati made me a little little nervous for Houston for that American championship I mean I know I'm really good but that I mean if Cincinnati plays like that against Houston it's not going to be close yeah because I mean like that again we mentioned in the preview like the offense was like Cincinnati's quote-unquote Achilles heel right that's kind of been their most 
they're most inconsistent. They're still very good on offense, but Desmond Ritter is prone to being a little inconsistent on that side. Yeah. And he threw for two four seventy four on 70, 17 to twenty three. Like it was, he just looked. He was. I don't know. I think Joseph. I think Joe Hoyt from the uh, DMN tweeted that he needs to send that film to the NFL because yeah, that that's the kind of thing that gets people interested in, in like right. you as a future pro quarterback. So, uh, moving on to Baylor twenty, Kansas State ten. Blake Shapin comes in for Gary Bohannon, who I think looked like a pulled hamstring when he was when he was running to the sidelines. Um, I think Dave Aranda said he's, his status is still unknown. So um, with that being said, Blake Shapin comes in, looks pretty okay. Uh, 16 and 21, 137. And we mentioned Kansas State's that weird team that could get physical with you, get in a sloppy game. And, you know, when, especially when Gary Bohannon was out. But even before he was out, it wasn't exactly the cleanest game. Um, so I'll give credit to Baylor's defense for doing what they could against Deuce Vaughn. He had a couple big runs. Um, but for the most part, the rest of the running game was held in check and kind of making Kansas state chase this game. And, uh, I think Deuce Vaughn had a 60 yard or 65 yard touchdown. Um, and then for the most part, Blake Shapin just kept things rolling and, you know, he, there wasn't the defense was good enough to where he didn't have to win the game on his own or anything like that. And they came out with a win. I mean, they averaged a yard more completion with him in the game than with mm. Bohannon early on in the game. So the, the passing offense didn't really suffer. He didn't throw any interceptions, and that's kind of been a problem for Baylor the last couple of weeks after it wasn't at all early in the year. So it was nice to see no interceptions thrown. Uh, Abram Smith didn't have a big game, but Travis mm. Ebner was able to have some su- success. And, you know, that's what makes Baylor good is they have a couple of guys. It's not just keyed on, you know, Gary Bohannon goes down and they're not lost. Abram mm-hmm. Smith has a, a, a bad game or, you know, not have as much success and they're not lost. They can still score 20 points. Uh, the defense can give up a big play and then bounce back and really hold a, a team in check otherwise. And so uh, the question for Baylor so far this year was, could you go on the road and beat a quality team? Well, they beat up, they went on the road and beat a quality team without their quarterback for most of that game. And they kind of beat Kansas state in a Kansas state way of beating a team. And, uh, they out physical them, and, and you could tell towards the end of that game, even though it was a 10-point game, it could have been 40 points at that yeah. point. You know, you could tell Baylor's defense had kind of taken the will from Kansas State's offense. So uh, a good win, and at this point, you don't need style points or anything. You just need a win. And so now you got Texas Tech at home. You should be able to get up for that. Quarterback concerns are going to be there. Is Bohannon healthy? Is he not healthy? Um, but if you win that game, you know, Oklahoma State, looks like he can beat Oklahoma. And if Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, you're in no matter what, no matter margin of victory, all that kind of stuff. It gets a little bit weird and complicated if Oklahoma wins. But uh, for the most part, fate is in their own hands. And, you know, they can go home and, and play a Texas Tech team that's not good, mm-hmm. doesn't have much to play for either. Um, so uh, a big game coming up in Waco. Yep. And, uh, and you know, even if Bahannon's not healthy, Blake Shapen looked pretty good. So we'll see if they can just keep that rolling. Moving on to our final game, Houston 31, Memphis 13. Mike Craven, you were on hand for that one as well. What did you see? I came away extremely impressed with Houston once again. Yeah, it was kind of a weird game. That 31-13 like line, like it looks like a lot, but they're in the fourth quarter. It was a one-possession game for a decent yeah. amount of time. You know, like Houston came out and jumped on top of Memphis and was like, oh, they're just going to route them. And then Memphis was able to get back into the game. 
Um, and then Houston held on, right, had, had some scores in the fourth quarter to make it look lopsided. The thing that stuck out to me is Houston is not the same team without Alton McCaskill in that running game really going. Mm. It kind of strikes me the same way with SMU and Ulysses Bentley, where uh, we talk about Mordecai, we talk about Clayton Toon, uh, but their success a lot depends on the defense not being able to, like, pick one, you know? Yeah. Um, once, you know, McCaskill was out and they weren't able to run the ball, Memphis's defensive line, their front seven, they were blitzing, tune a lot, moving them off a spot. So that's something that that's concerning. But the fact that they were kind of able to anchor that in and kind of the game was starting to slip away a little bit and they were able to just like push pause on that and reassert their dominance, I thought was pretty important. Clayton Toon's just been, he's been really good. And what we saw Friday was a guy that can make some mistakes again. And so mm-hmm. hopefully it's just one of those, because he had gone Injuring that game, it was 166 attempts without an interception. And he got it up to about 192 before that first pick in the third quarter. Then he threw a really bad one in the fourth quarter. And so you hope, you know, this week you, you go back to the tape and you're like, look how good we've been when you're not making mistakes. Look what can happen when you make mistakes. And he cleans that up because in order to beat Cincinnati, you're going to need as perfect a Clayton tune as you can get. The one we saw against Memphis isn't going to get that done. Yeah, I think uh, McCaskill had that early touchdown in the second quarter, right? That 50, like 59 yarder, uh, that was the first score of the game. And you mentioned Clayton Toon's mistakes. I will say the fact that he was able to kind of still have a pretty solid game was pretty good. I mean, again, I think the hamstring is fine because he had that one touchdown run uh, where he kind of eluded some defenders. He put a couple of, um, I forgot that one fade pass he threw to the corner. I forgot who that was too, but that was on the money. And so like, you know, even when the games he makes mistakes now, like, okay, he's not, the game's not collapsing, right? They were able to pull this one out. He was able to shoulder a little bit more of the load. Hopefully, obviously, all McCaskill's okay. But I will say this is a, you know, if, if this doesn't continue, if he can get back to playing the clean games we've seen him play, the fact that he has this in his back pocket to be able to shake off mistakes and still play a solid game and still lead Houston to a pretty good win, especially when his defense is going to give him opportunities like that when they get, you know, Seth Hennigan to throw a couple, a pair of interceptions. Um, you know, I do, I still do think this team will be competitive with Cincinnati. Now, of course, depends on how it goes. Uh, they got, they have a glorified tune-up game against UConn to end the year. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm so psyched to see what that game could be with with Cincinnati because I don't want it to be another SMU repeat um so yeah (laughs) we'll see how that goes and they get a chance to play a pretty fun spoiler potential too which is always uh gonna jazz a team up in my opinion so what I will say about Houston is that defense is they're 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 good right they get after Mm -hmm. the quarterback they hit you uh, they play physical. Sometimes the secondary can be a little undisciplined and let a let a guy behind them. The big plays there, uh, but when that defensive line is doing their thing, they're hard to block. They got three or four guys that mm-hmm. get to the quarterback on, on a regular basis. They're fifth in the nation going into that game with three point four sack three point four sacks a game. I think they ended with three uh, in that game. So uh, they were all over the place, and you could tell Memphis's game plan took that into account. Right. Mm-hmm. Memphis ran like 10 screens, I think, if I remember correctly. Like you Houston's defensive line is a problem and it's altering the game plans of other teams. I think against Cincinnati, that will serve them really well because something SMU did not do was get any type of pressure against Cincinnati's passing attack. Yep. And uh as we mentioned at the top of the show, still number one, UTSA. 
huge win over UAB. They will be playing in the CUSA championship after they get through next week at UNT. Um, Mallory, I'm uh, sorry to do this to you. Spartan report. Ish, I thought we were friends. <laughs> Speaking of extremely undisciplined secondary. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to. I, uh, are, they I had undis- to. are they undisciplined or just not good? They're just terrible. I, there, there is no secondary. I don't think they, I don't think they, sh- I think that was an FCS team. I don't think the team showed up. I think, I, I don't know what that was. I really credit, don't. Credit to them. They probably, they might've won CJ Stroud, the Heisman. Um, Absolutely. Because <laughs> that and was. the Heisman away from Kenneth Walker. So <laughs> probably took the Heisman away from their own player. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, they lost 56 to seven against Ohio state, which is even beyond what I expected from that game. By the way, speaking of speaking of head coaches that need to sign an extension, that, that thing is not signed yet for Mel Tucker. And he better be running to that room to sign that, to grab that pen right now, because after that game, I'd be looking at it like, Oh, 95 million. We'll hold off on that, buddy. We'll, (laughs) How about you not lose by almost 50? No, they said the only thing Mel Tucker needs to be doing during halftime is picking up a pin and signing that extension. You are absolutely right. He's like, guys, I'll talk to you in a bit. I got to go see the AD real quick. Exactly, exactly. He's like holding up his phone. He's like, does anybody know how to download DocuSign? (laughs) (laughs) Do I just sign it with my finger right here? Can I just... Verbal agreement. I, I, you know, I'm old school. Verbal agreement. Right, right. No DeAndre ball. Jordan's here. It's all verbal. It's all good. We're good to go, right? <laughs> another another game that happened at that same time was Georgia versus Charleston Southern, the FCS team against Georgia. Yeah. Same score, yeah. 56-7. <laughs> same exact score. <laughs> I, tweeted, I, I tweeted a picture of it, and I said, one is not like the other. <laughs> Oh, sorry, Mallory. I had to do that. I could not end this episode without asking you about your Spartans. I've let you brag about them. I have to, I have to go at you for them too. I know. I understand. Anyway, we will talk to you guys Wednesday with a good preview show as usual, barring any, actually, I'm not even going to say any news because last time I said that, uh, tech hired Joey McGuire. We had to record something. It was good news, but last time we, last time I said, Oh, there's no community news, uh, tech hired Joey McGuire. We had to record. So I'm just going to say bye. We'll see you Wednesday.